Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. The big, the big event that's happening in our lives. The big event is us. The big event, there's a battle for our thoughts. There's a battle for our beliefs. There's a battle for our very humanness because it's through our humanness that we achieve what is called divinity. Now I have to just say divinity, a lot of people think it means religion. If you look at the true definition of divinity, it has nothing to do with religion. Divinity simply is defined as the ability to transcend perceived human limitations. Have you ever wondered how the heart and mind can work in harmony to transform your life? Well, get ready for an enlightening journey as we sit down with Greg Braden, a true luminary in the world of personal growth. And in this concise and engaging podcast interview, we'll explore the profound connection between the heart and mind and how it can serve as a catalyst for your own transformation. We unlock the secrets of heart and brain coherence, delve into the beauty-inspired wisdom of the Navajo Beauty Prayer, and learn how embracing your inner divinity can empower you to thrive in a rapidly changing world. So get ready to embark on a path of resilience and grace with the guidance of one of today's foremost thought leader. Let's dive right in and explore the transformative potential within you. Enjoy. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on what side of the world you are on today. We have the most amazing guest for you. We have Greg Braden. Welcome to the show. Catherine, I am so excited to be with you. I know who you are. I have followed your work as well, but somehow we've never done this. I'm not sure how that happened. So this is our first time. It's unscripted. It's a dance. I'm going to follow your lead and let's see where this conversation goes. I love this and I'm so honored and thank you so very much for your time and your energy for coming on the show. The way that we love to start the show is we always love to ask our guests, what inspired you to do what you do today? Well, I mean, that could be the whole program. I don't know how how deep you want to go. You know, what what people often ask, so I'm uh, I'm a scientist. I'm a degreed geologist. I've got a strong background in, in life sciences. I was a marine biologist. Then I went into marine geology, uh, then terrestrial geology with a strong background in life sciences, math, physics, and computer science. So people will ask, Greg, how did you make what they perceive as a quantum leap? from working in the corporations as scientists to what we're doing now. And honestly, Catherine, for me, it was it was less of a leap and more of a, of a logical progression that simply made sense. I um, 
I was a problem solver in Fortune 500 companies during the 1970s, 80s, and early 90s. And it was during the 1980s, it was the Cold War years, and I know some of our viewers may not even remember the Cold War years. It was a very frightening time in the, the history of our world. And by day, I was a senior computer systems designer in the defense industry, which is not a job that I applied for. There's a whole story of, of how I arrived there. And by night and on the weekends, I in my spare time, I've always searched through the wisdom of our past, the ancient text, ancient traditions, gone to some of the most remote and pristine and beautiful and magnificent sites remaining in the world today, because I've always believed, Catherine, if we know where to look into the past and how to look at what our ancestors have left for us, that we would find the clue that would keep us from the suffering and the great wars that we have found ourselves in today, like the Cold War and like what's happening in the world today. So that journey led me to understand uh, the thinking of those who have come before us. And interestingly, that thinking was not based in the technology of the world we have today. It was a spiritual understanding, a spiritual technology. And I think there's a beautiful place in our lives where these two come together, Catherine. I, I was told when I was a scientist that I had to make a choice, that science and spirituality are incompatible, mutually exclusive. I, I And I literally had a division supervisor come to me and he looked him in the eye and he said, son, <laughs> you, you're going to have to make a choice. And I, I believe we don't have to make that choice. I think it's all about our perceptions and the way we think. We live in a deeply spiritual world, whether we choose to acknowledge that or not. And that spirituality plays out in technology. And AI is a perfect example. The way that AI is, is being applied, it now exists. The question is, how will it be applied? What role does it play in our lives? That is a deeply spiritual question. So my path has been to marry the best science of the modern world that can only serve us if we keep it honest. We have to keep science honest. To marry that knowledge with the wisdom of 5,000 years of human experience to give us the evolutionary edge so that we can thrive in our time of extremes uh, rather than suffer and perhaps perish as civilizations have done in the past. So it's a long answer to a short question. Uh, this is the 43rd year that I've done this work in one form or another. And it, I, I was doing a radio interview in New York not long ago. It was a morning commuter talk show. People are listening while they're stuck in traffic, you know, in New York. And the interview, he didn't come on and say, welcome or good morning, you know, or any of that. The first thing he said, he goes, Greg Braden, why can't you stick with one topic like everybody else? And, and I said, what do you mean? He goes, man, he said, you write about magnetic fields and ancient traditions and transhumanism. And, you know, why can't you just stick with one topic like everyone else? And he caught me off guard. I was surprised. First, I thought he was kidding. And then he, he wasn't. This guy didn't have a sense of humor at all. <laughs> and so I said to him, I said, you know, I... If you look closely, every book that I've written in the last 40 years explores one facet 
of our relationship to our own bodies and to the past, to the future, to the world around us, to God. I said, so in a very real sense, I've stayed with one topic. It just happens to be a big topic. And then he said, he came back and he said, okay, let's go to the station break. And he never came back, never came back. That was it. So he didn't like my answer. So, uh, so there are so many directions, Catherine, that we may go. And my sense is our time will go quickly. And uh, with your permission, maybe we can call this Greg and Catherine one, and we can maybe come back and follow up with uh, with some other topics. But that's a long answer to your short question. Where where would you like to go from that answer? I love it, and it's it's it, it's as I was saying before we came on this morning. There's so many uh, areas that we can delve into. Uh, the one that I wanted to unpack for today is uh, things out of your book, The Wisdom Codes, because I'm sure. big on the words that we speak become our reality. And I just I just did an interview on this book before I came on here. So I have it. I have the paperback version right here in my studio. <laughs> Amazing. And I've got my version just sitting here because there's okay. a couple of things out of the book that I highlighted. But I'd love to hear more so what inspired you to write this book? Sure. But how did you come up? Because I'm sure there's many, many codes with those specific ones. That's a it's a really good question, Catherine. I'm going to begin with the the very first page of the book. There are two statements that inspired me profoundly. One of them was from a scientist, uh, a neurologist, a neuroscientist. His name is Andrew Newberg. He's an MD. And what he said is this. He said, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. And I thought about that. One, a non-physical thing like a word can change what's happening in my body and your body and the body of, of our viewers. It's kind of a mind blower when you think about it, because we're all experiencing a lot of stress. We we live in a time what the experts call a time of extremes. Doesn't mean only bad things are happening or, or only good things. It does mean big things are happening. Big things are happening in the world. And that means our lives have to change, and that change can be stressful. If we don't understand why it's happening, why we need to change, if we don't understand what we can change toward. So the idea that the way that we either think or speak a word can change our DNA is, is very, very powerful to me. So that's a scientist. Now, Emily, Emily Dickinson, the poet, said exactly the same thing in a non-scientific way, and I love this as well. She said, I know nothing in the world that has as much power as a word. That's Emily Dickinson. So we we all know that words are powerful. And uh, I just mentioned, this is the 43rd year that I've, I've done this work in, in one form or another. And uh, Catherine, I have to say, I've been I've been really blessed and sometimes just flat out lucky in those 43 years to have the opportunity to travel into some of the most isolated and remote and magnificent and beautiful and pristine places remaining in the world to visit the, the archaeological remnants, the temples uh, and the underground sites, the monuments that were left by those who have come before us. And thinking that I was going there just for the archaeology, what I discovered was while the archaeology is important, it's the people that have preserved the wisdom 
in those temples and in uh, in those sacred sites. The people that live there today, the indigenous people that really carry the wisdom that's represented in, in those ancient sites. So from the highlands of central China and Tibet and India and Nepal and the Bedouins in Egypt and all through Bolivia and Peru and Australia, parts of your outback and through the American desert Southwest and, and other places, I've had the opportunity, been blessed to be with the indigenous elders and to learn from them. And as, as different as they are from one another, there are common themes that weave them all together. One of those themes is that in times of need, they have always turned to words for comfort. Uh, in times of loss, they have turned to, to very specific patterns of words or phrases or prayers or mantras or hymns or songs that have helped them through when they needed strength, uh, emotional strength and the fortitude to, to help them in, in their lives uh, in times of love. It's not all about bad things. In times of love, they have, have turned to words. And what's so fascinating to me is that every tradition has very specific, either single words, brief phrases, or, or entire uh, paragraphs of words, in the case of a song, that have been preserved through generation after generation. Fathers pass them to sons, mothers to daughters, that have always helped these people in times of need. And so I began to catalog these. And uh, my thinking was, if it has helped our ancestors for 5,000 years in their times of need, are we living in different times? Yes. But can those words help us as well? And I think the answer is yes. So what I did, Catherine, it was actually um, it was very healing for me to set the time aside and to to delve into these notes that I had made over all these years and to pull uh, very specific words and to categorize them, to catalog them in the book. So in, in the book, there's a section on love. There's a section on strength, on loss, on fear. And I, I tried to take a cross-section. There are some things from the ancient Hindu Vedas, for example, and from the Egyptian pyramid texts. There are others that are taken from the Gnostic hymns and the Gospels and from the Buddhist scriptures and the the American Native American uh, uh, traditions here, specifically the Hopi and the Navajo here in in North America, and what I what I wanted to do when I put the book together, it was never intended as a book to be read from cover to cover. Although some people some people do that, rather it was it was intended. To, and my publisher worked with me on this. It was a small format book that a woman could carry in her purse or a guy could carry in his briefcase and. If you're having a tough day, you just flip to a very specific section, and it it gives uh, it gives the the phrase or the prayer or the mantra. It tells where it comes from, a reference so that you can go and check it out and find more information on yourself, how it was used, and then I, I break it down for people that want more information into what each line of the prayer or each of uh, each part of the phrase means. In the Lord's Prayer, for example, in the original Aramaic, line by line, it reads very differently than the uh, than the English Lord's Prayer, which is good. 
But the English Bible, the King James Version, for example, is translated primarily from Greek. And the the term lost in translation applies here. There were things that were lost, nuances that were lost between the original Aramaic and the Hebrew and the Coptic and the Greek and then the English or, you know, whatever language. So uh, the book can be a quick reference uh, or it can be a longer read if people would like to do that. And and I selected, I uh, tried to do for each chapter, uh, for example, the chapter on strength, I tried to do three or four different traditions because everyone learns differently. And some people may resonate more with a, a Hindu scripture from the, the Vedas than they do th- from a Gnostic scripture, uh, you know, that, that's more recent. So that's a, a little bit of a long answer to your short question, but that's that's how I came to write what it is that, that I've written in this book, The Wisdom Codes. And the, the subtitle of the book, I think, tells it all, Ancient Words to Rewire Our Brains and Heal Our Hearts. What the science shows is that when we begin to perceive our world differently, and, and we can do it on demand, it's not a spon- it doesn't have to be spontaneous. We can choose to think differently about what's happening in our world and what's happening in our lives. And as we do that, the the neurons, our neural networks, we have a, a huge neural network in the brain most people know about. A lot of people are not quite as aware that we also have a neural network in the heart. It was only discovered in 1991. About 40,000 specialized cells in the human heart that think, feel, and remember independently from from the, the cranial brain. So when we begin to use a, a, a traditional a prayer or a mantra or some of the Gnostic hymns, at first, maybe it feels like we're going through the motions. But what the science shows is it takes about 72 hours for our neurons to, to neurons are very social cells. They love to connect. They want to hook up. Neurons want to hook up. That could be the takeaway from our talk today. Neurons want to hook up. And when it's the act, the act of us choosing to think or perceive in a new way is the instruction for the neuron to build the connection with another neuron that supports what it is that we're asking it to do. And it doesn't happen uh, in, in a second. It takes typically about 72 hours, about three days. So as we go through the motions of uh, of sharing either silently or out loud, and I'll give some examples here in just a minute, uh, what these, the mantras or, or the prayers or the hymns are, we're actually building a neural network that supports us thinking differently about ourselves and other people and our relationship to the world. And, uh, and so that's why the subtitle literally says, Ancient words to rewire our brains and heal our hearts. The healing comes from reorganizing the neural network that was present when we have trauma. We all have trauma. And if we stay in that same neural configuration, we are stuck in that trauma. We can never change what happened in the past. We can always change what it means to us, the significance we give it and how we feel about it. Our ancestors knew that. They didn't know the science. Now the science tells us this is how we do it. And I talk about this in the first chapter of the book. 
so that people know how how to use that. So so that's a little bit about why I wrote the book the way uh, the way that I did. And um, does does that make sense? Absolutely, and I love the way that it's uh, and it's helped me definitely live more from a place of the heart rather than the mind so I love the fact that you drop into the mind uh, drop out of the mind into the heart because I feel it's it's very different when you feel words rather than hear them in your mind and as simple as even listening like I always practice practice empathetic listening listening with my heart I hear different sounds different words mean different things because obviously it's the meaning we give the words but when you do it from a heart frequency it's so different and I'd love to hear more about that yeah Catherine can I can I speak directly to what you just said are you okay with that so this is really interesting because it ties in it begins with what most of us already know and then it takes it to another level based on what those new discoveries are all about so we all know when we talk about the brain that the brain we have a left brain and a right brain uh pretty much most people do and and they fulfill very different functions left brain is more attuned to spatial recognition logic numbers math geometry uh mechanisms how things work and how to get things done the right brain is more intuitive and it's more about feelings. It's about color, about sound, about uh, scent. The scent is very, very powerful. Sound is very powerful. You know, people can listen. I was just doing this. Uh, I was on a, a long drive and on my playlist, I had a playlist of songs that I'd love to listen to in the 1960s. So, and when those songs come up, boom. I mean, I can remember exact moments of where I was when I was hearing those, either driving alone or with friends or, you know, some events. Sound has the ability to, you know, to do that. Plus, it was just really good music, you know. Back in the 60s, we had a soundtrack to our lives and the change that was happening. And today, there are so many diverse outlets for the music. It's not so concentrated. So everybody has their own individual soundtrack, but we don't share the common experiences like we did, you know, back in, in the 60s and 70s. So, so we, we know that the brain functions that way. So here's what that means. It means that if you perceive an experience like trauma through your brain, your brain is always going to perceive it through the polarity of the left and the right brain. So your trauma is always going to be perceived through right and wrong or good and bad or success or failure, um, you know, sick or healed. I mean, it, it, this is the ego, and these are the ego loops. And we all know when we get stuck in those ego loops and we have those conversations, the science says, and on the first page of the book, I think I, I mentioned this, the average person has between 60 and 80,000 thoughts per 24 hours. Many of those are redundant thoughts where we're, we just keep telling ourselves the same thing, like, man, you really messed up. You know, you really messed up, or you're a failure, you're a failure, or whatever. That's the ego in the left and the right brain. Well, here's the beauty of the heart. Now that we know there's a neural network in the heart, 1991, scientists discovered about 40,000 specialized cells called sensory neurites in the heart that think, feel, and remember independently of the cranial brain. Here's the beauty. The heart is not a polarity organ. There is no left and right heart. 
you know, part of my heritage, uh, my bloodlines, I, I have Hebrew blood and I have Cherokee blood. My father was Cherokee. And in the Cherokee tradition, there's a word for what we're talking about that, that doesn't exist in English. So in English, we have to string together a, some other words to approximate. In Cherokee, the word is Shante, C-H-A-N-T-E, Shante Ishta. Shante Ishta means the single eye of the heart. The eye of the heart that sees what's true without judging. Doesn't have, the heart doesn't see right and wrong and good and bad. The heart sees what is. So when we can experience our trauma, or if we're, we're healing our trauma, if we can redefine the trauma from the heart, what will happen is, it doesn't change what happened, but it definitely changes the way we feel about what happened. And it can take away the judgments of us thinking we made a mistake, or that we were wrong, or, or it's so, how could somebody else be so mean to us? I'll, I'll just be very honest. I'll give you an example. I, I am a, a product of a very dysfunctional alcoholic uh, abusive alcoholic family. My father was the abuser. My mom and my younger brother and I got the bad end of, of that until he left. He left when I was 10. And I had to do a lot of work early in my life. And it, it you know, you never finish it. it. It always continues. But once you have the tools, then you know how to apply those things. And, uh, and I have to tell you, it took a very long time to move out of my head from feeling that I was wronged, uh, that because uh, my mother would always say to me, "How could your father do that to us? You know, how could he do it?" And so it was deeply instilled that there was a a right and a wrong there. And and when you come from that place, that is what keeps us stuck in the judgment and the fear and the hate of of the past, so that we cannot move forward in a healthy way. It's not wrong. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong or right to be there. I'm saying if we choose to evolve as, uh, as a spiritual being, if we choose to become a better version of ourselves, it's really hard to do that when we look at life through the lens of being mistreated or of being wronged or of being hurt. And so to transcend that, not not doesn't change what happened, but it changes the way we feel about it. We begin looking at it from the heart. Uh, the heart doesn't have the ego loops. The heart is objective, and it helps us to to move through those things in a healthy way, and maybe even understand where the other person was coming from. My father's case, what I learned after his death, I went to his funeral. I didn't know him well, but I went to his funeral, <clears throat> and it was then that his brothers told me how bad he had been treated as a child by his father and how badly he had been uh, abused and how he was taught that if you want to have a strong son, you will be mean to the son to make them strong in life. And that was his way of doing what he thought was, uh, you know, was a good thing for, for his children. So it's not an excuse. It doesn't condone. doesn't mean I agree with it. But it helps to understand, maybe. And because you're not dealing in the rightness or the wrongness, it helps to move through, to transcend that suffering. So maybe that's a long answer to a short question. But again, but, but this is the value 
to what you uh, so beautifully opened the door to, Catherine, was the conversation about the the value of, of using our heart to explore these things. When I was a kid back in the 50s, 60s, early 70s, I was taught that the that the brain is the master organ in the human body. And they're still teaching that to our kids today. And we all know the brain's important. But here's what the science is showing. This is so, so... I was doing this in a program a couple of weeks ago, and I had young people. I said, this is so cool. And they said, no, Mr. Braden, the word is sweet. Nobody says cool anymore. It's sweet. So, so what I'm going to say, this is so sweet, is that the brain tells the body what chemistry to produce, but the brain gets its instructions from the heart. And the heart receives its instructions from us. Our perceptions, the way we choose to feel about the world around us. So if we feel that the world is safe and that we uh, we feel a sense of well-being, that's a signal that we'll send to the brain. And the brain then releases a very healing, regenerating, rejuvenating chemistry into the body. And if we live our lives every moment of every day being vigilant and living in fear, and we say, you know, this is a bad world. And I'm not saying there aren't places where that's warranted, but you don't want to live every moment of every day in that space. When when you're feeling that it's safe, then your body will begin, your heart sends a signal to the brain. The brain says, oh, we're in a, a place that's safe. We don't need to generate fight or flight chemistry right now. So we can now put our energy into healing and rejuvenation and regeneration and longevity and there you know i mean this this isn't a theory there are studies sadly places like the the war in syria there's a, a civil war that's been going on in syria now long enough that the refugees have been in refugee camps for a, an entire generation and now they're having babies in these refugee camps the refugee camps are not safe. Women, when they go out to use the bathroom, they take their lives in their hand. They go out to get firewood. They take their lives into their hands. So they're constantly vigilant. They pass that vigilance in the womb onto their children. And the children are born in a constant state of fight or flight because nature's programmed them to say this that's the world you live in. So now these young kids, the scientists are able and psychologists and sociologists are able to study them. And what they find is by living in fight or flight uh, in their early years, nonstop, that they have cognitive impairment. Their brain size is smaller. Portions of their brains are not developed. Their bodies are smaller in statue, uh, stature. And it's not just because of nutrition. It's because of the chemist, all of the chemistry is being shifted away from healing and away from regeneration and rejuvenation. It's all going to fight or flight, being constantly vigilant, ready to run or ready to fight if they have to. Uh, and this is a, a sad testimony to what's happening there. And it also is, is a powerful testimony to our ability when we can shift and it doesn't mean there aren't bad things in the world. It's how we feel about those things in the world. So on demand, we program our own chemistry by choosing the way we feel and the way we perceive our experiences, perceiving through the heart 
is how we transcend those polarities. So, And it's also easier said than done too, I find. I feel that I've gone through a bit of a transformation in regards to some of the words that I've been using. So uh, similar to, to what you were speaking about, for many years I've been practicing forgiveness. And all that did was bring up the experiences of what yeah. I was forgiving. And then one day I said to myself, what if I just accepted what took place? And I am practicing non-judgment, non-resistance and uh, non-attachment. Very hard to do in this kind of modern world that we live in. Um, But what I found is what if as a soul, I chose this very experience? And so that changed the meaning of everything that took place in my life. What are your thoughts about that? You know, I was just having this conversation with someone uh, earlier today. We were we were looking at uh, what's happening in Ukraine and what is the horror of what has just happened in Hawaii. The fires that have taken, we know over 100 lives, but there are over 1,000 people unaccounted for. We have no idea where those people are. And so the question is, did those souls know when they came in that that was what was going to happen? I, I honestly, as a scientist... I don't know the answer, so that's my scientific answer. My sense uh, is, my personal sense, is that I think there we may come in choosing general patterns of energy. I, I'm not saying a soul came in to be burned in the fire. I don't know that it's that specific. But I think we do come in <clears throat> during times of conflict, turmoil, or if you're a soul living on Earth right now, this is we're living through something that we've never seen before in 5,000 years of recorded human history. It's the convergence of many cycles, climate, uh, conflict, uh, economic cycles, social cycles are all converging. And there's a new world emerging that takes a very special soul to navigate that in a healthy way. And some people uh, are not some people are leaving. They're just not doing it. So what I'd like to say to our our viewers today, first of all, to all of our viewers, I want to thank you for all of your support for uh, for Catherine and her work. Catherine, I want to thank you for the community that you've created around your work. Your community, I think we share a lot of community. And for me, community is family. So this is for our global family. When we talk about redefining our hurt from the past, uh, it's relevant right now. There, I think we all know there's a lot of hurt in the world. And most societies don't deal with it, at least publicly. And if a society is never taught to deal with the hurt, uh, then what happens is that hurt becomes anger and it's expressed as hate. So the more hate we see in the world, I think what we're seeing is a tremendously hurting generation. And uh, so when we talk about redefining our experiences personally, individually, that's all we can do. There's a process, I describe this in the book, and I'll describe it right now. It's a process called coherence between the heart and the brain. So we've already identified that there's a neural network in the heart, neural network in the brain. And Catherine, this is one of the most amazing, as a scientist, what I'm going to say to you, some people just take it for granted. I I think it's so mind-blowing. We're the only form of life that we know of that has the ability to harness the neural network in 
one organ in the brain and a separate neural network and a separate organ in the heart and to harmonize two neural networks into one potent system that can make us superhumans. When we, this is called heart-brain coherence, and it's achieved through three steps. It's a shift in focus, a shift in breath, and a shift in, in emotion, sending a, a new signal from the heart to the brain. What science is showing is in the presence of heart-brain coherence. Number one, we have a stronger immune system. Man, who, who doesn't want that, you know, these days? On demand, and in less than three minutes is when this starts. We have a greater resilience to change, and we're all living change in our lives it triggers the longevity, it awakens the longevity enzymes that are already in our cells, but they tend to be dormant until something awakens them. It triggers uh, the release of stem cells that we used to think uh, we lose as we get older. Now we know they're still there. It's just harder to wake them up. And this is one of the ways to do it. It also is an opportunity for deep states of intuition, for super memory, super learning, super cognition. It triggers over 1,300 positive biochemical reactions in the human body. And all we're doing is having a shift in focus, a shift in breath, and a shift in the emotion that is being regulated between the heart and the brain. And that's it. So it is literally, if this happened anywhere else, you would call it a technology. And it is. We are now what is recognized is a highly advanced technologically sophisticated, soft biological technology. We're not computer chips and sensors and wires. We are cell membranes and neurons and ion potentials moving across the cell walls. And we regulate that through thought, feeling, emotion, breath, and focus. And we do it so often, I think we've forgotten just how powerful we are. And this is where the link between the wisdom of our ancestors and the best science of the modern world becomes really, really clear because the science, science confirms everything I've just said to you. We know they're in very, uh, uh, very sophisticated technical journals that very few people will read because the language and, and the mathematics make it difficult. And, and they're separated from that, there's a, a journal about biochemistry and there's a journal of neurology, but how often do the biochemists talk to the neurologists? But all that's changing. And as we begin to see ourselves as a whole being rather than all these separate things, and we recognize that we're wired to thrive and adapt in times just like we're living in right now, the key then becomes, uh, and the question becomes, do we love ourselves enough? to embrace the deep truth of who we are and what our potential is. And that is the foundation of, of the work that I've been doing since, you know, since I left the corporations. And that's why I do, because I, I firmly believe as we come to terms with the deep truth of who we are, we find less need for conflict and less desire to hurt one another. And in my lifetime, I would love to see us reach a point where we don't hurt one another anymore. Because it makes no sense and it's so unnecessary. But it's it's hard to achieve that when there's so much existing hurt in the world right now. So as individuals, if you want to create that coherence, three steps. One is we move our awareness from our mind into our heart. And one of the ways to do that 
is to simply touch, just touch gently your heart center. You can use a full palm or a couple of fingers. Our ancestors have done this, you know, for thousands of years. The ancient Christians made a big cross right over their heart. The Buddhists do a prayer mudra right over their heart. It's, it's all about, you don't see them doing that with their brain. You don't see people, you know, activating the brain. It all begins in the heart. Second step is to slow the breathing to trigger a relaxation response in the parasympathetic nervous system. There's a little nuance here. It's not just about slow breathing. It's about the ratio of the inhale to the exhale. And what the the science shows very clearly is if you can exhale for a period of time longer than the inhale, So everybody's different. I'm at 7,000 feet above sea level. I think you're you're probably closer to sea level. So our our breath is going to be different. For me, if I do um, four counts, one, two, three, four on the inhale, and then six on the release, that works for me. And if I go teach at sea level, I have to do it a a little bit differently. My lung capacity is different than, than those people at sea level. But the key is to exhale for a period of time longer than you inhale. And here's the reason, because breath is a language. And when you exhale for a period of time, you slow your breath and exhale for a period of time longer than inhale. The only time you would do that in life is in a place where you are safe. Because if you're not safe, you're going to be breathing rapid, shallow breaths, and the ratio is not going to be like that. So when you exhale for a period of time longer than the inhale in a slow breath, you are literally saying to your body, I am safe. I am safe. And that is the second step. The third step is in the presence of focus in the heart and the slowing of the breath to create that sense of safety and well-being is to feel a feeling of a positive feeling in the heart such as gratitude. Gratitude works pretty much for everyone, so I just recommend gratitude. It could be appreciation, could be care, could be compassion. To feel that that positive sense of, uh, of gratitude, that feeling sends the signal from the heart to the brain. It's a very low-frequency signal, 0.1 hertz. It's a very, very low frequency. And that establishes an optimum coherence between the heart and the brain that floods the rest of the body with that coherence as well. Scientists uh, recommend a minimum of three minutes doing something like this, and the effects will last up to six hours of only three minutes of doing this. Maybe you've had other guests that have talked about this. I I don't know, but this is uh, just a very high-level overview. I describe it in more detail in the first chapter in the book. If people want, want that detail, they can see that there. So I've never had anyone explain it like that, though. I've had, um, I even, uh, I do uh, regular sound baths and they teach right. you to exhale a lot longer than inhale, but it's never been explained that way before. So thank you very much. I wasn't. That's that. because this, this is the deluxe Catherine and Greg podcast show where we get to do these. So uh, I, I know we have just a few minutes left in closing and I promised something early and I want to keep my promise. Catherine, are you okay on time? Can we can we take a few minutes and 100%. do this? I'm guided by you, Greg. So, so of all of the words that we could <clears throat> explore today from the book, 
Uh, some of them I'm more drawn to than others. Some I use on a daily basis. And one of those is from a Native American tradition from people know them as Navajo, uh, but they don't call themselves Navajo. They call themselves Diné. So it's from the Diné people of the American desert Southwest. It's called the beauty prayer. To the Navajo, beauty is more than an aesthetic of appreciation for art or a walk in the forest. And they, they literally say that beauty is a force of nature, the fifth force. Physicists recognize four forces of nature. They're trying to, to unify them into the unified field theory. So that is gravity and the electromagnetic field, the electromagnetic force, and the strong force and the weak nuclear force. Strong and weak nuclear force, gravity, and electromagnetism. Those are the four forces accepted by physics. The Navajo traditions say yes, and there's one more that was missed, and it is the force of beauty. Beauty is a force of nature rather than as an aesthetic, and that is a deep, deep concept. We literally, we are changed in the presence of beauty. When we behold beauty, that feeling that you feel in your body in the presence of beauty uh, is a shift in the chemistry of your body. You literally change your body chemistry by allowing yourself and training yourself to perceive beauty. So the beauty prayer helps us to do this. Now, the, the original prayer, its entirety, it's, it's a long prayer. It's too long to do here, too long, I think, too long, and unless you're doing ceremony. It's perfect for ceremony. There is a shorter version that was offered by a, a, a beautiful Navajo man. His name is Shanto Bigay. Uh, he's an artist. And he condensed the beauty prayer into three very easy phrases. And I say this to myself at least once a day, and it's become a cornerstone in my life. So those phrases, let me share them, and then we'll we'll explore what they mean. The first line simply says, the beauty that I live with. The next line is the beauty that I live by. The third is the beauty upon which I base my life. The first line, the beauty I live with, it reminds us that beauty is already present. We don't have to make it because it already exists in all things. Our job is to seek it out. We have to find the beauty even in the, the most ugly of things. There is always an element of good and beauty uh, in those things. We have to find them. And that's that's the first line of the prayer, the beauty I live with. The beauty I live by reminds us to invite beauty into our lives is a framework by which we live our lives, the lens through which we see the events of our lives and our world. The beauty upon which I base my life, the third phrase, is an invitation to take beauty away from a peripheral, occasional experience. And to bring the power of beauty front and center into our lives as the foundation that forms the template through which everything else in our lives may flow. It's a very, very different way of thinking. The beauty I live with, the beauty I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life. And what I can say to you, there, there are places where I can describe it. And then there's a place where my words aren't going to do any good. You just have to experience it for yourself. And what I can say to you. After uh, a half of a lifetime, over half of a lifetime, 
of living from this perspective is I am changed in the presence of beauty. We all are. It doesn't change what happens in the world. It changes how we perceive what happens in the world. And now, you know, because we just described this, that shift in perception gives us a healthier physiological response. We can actually have a healthy body in the presence of those perceptions socially. It also changes how we look at other people uh, and the things they do in their lives, the things they do to us in their lives, the choices and decisions that are made by everyone. Doesn't justify any wrong. It doesn't condone any wrong. And I don't want to say that. There, there is evil in the world. And we're living in a world where there's a fundamental battle between, between light and dark, good and evil. And just to, to put the icing on the cake, from this, that fundamental battle. You know, there's a lot going on in the world out there. There's a collapse of banking systems and a collapse of a global financial system. And there's war in Eastern Europe. There are 22 wars that are raging on the earth right now. We don't hear about all of them. There are problems with the climate. All those are important. All those we need to talk about. However, all of those have been hijacked by media and the powers that be, they become diversions from the big, the big event that's happening in our lives. The big event is us. The big event, there's a battle for our thoughts. There's a battle for our beliefs. There's a battle for our very humanness because it's through our humanness that we achieve what is called divinity. Now, I have to just say divinity, a lot of people think it means religion. If you look at the true definition of divinity, it has nothing to do with religion. Divinity simply is defined as the ability to transcend perceived human limitations. That's all it is. It's our ability, our natural ability to become more than the perceived. They may not be real. They are perceived limitations that we place upon ourselves. Those limitations come from our family, our society, they come from our religion, they come from our life experience, we've been hurt, we give ourselves these limits. Our divinity is always with us, it's our ability to transcend these things. So all of this stuff, if our attention is focused in all the things in the world around us, instilling fear into us, that fear will, will veil our divinity. So when we do the techniques like I'm talking about right now, when you create that coherence, it opens the door to deep states of intuition. In those deep states of intuition, you can ask yourself the questions about what's, what's true and what's right for you. And that your divinity frees you from the shackles of the fear in the world around us. So this is, it's, a, it's part of a big story. It's part of a big story that, that's happening right here. The world is changing, and there are different people that have different visions of what the world should look like based on different agendas. Uh, and we become vulnerable to those ideas and those agendas if we live our lives in fear. Our divinity frees us from the fear, and our divinity is, and you all have divinity, divinity is the part of you that's timeless, it's ageless, it's your creativity, it's your intuition. I was at the Grammys uh, a few years ago, and when I asked the musicians where their songs come from, 
They said, they don't come from me. They come through me from uh, another part of, of myself. That's the divinity. It's your imagination. It's your creativity. And all that's being stifled right now, Catherine, through technology, computer chips in the brain, artificial intelligence, to write the books instead of us writing the books, to create the art instead of us creating the art. It's cool to look at. Ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, how much of ourselves do we want to give away to the technology? Because that's exactly what we're doing right now. So it all comes down to me, and I'll close with this, just a single question. Do we love ourselves enough? Do we love ourselves enough to embrace the deep truth of who we are, what it means to be human, and to live that truth in our lives? And that is our divinity that allows us to love ourselves so that we can love one another fearlessly in this world. And I want to say thank you, Catherine, for all that you're doing to make that possible for your community and uh, and for inviting me and the trust that you have to share me with your community. Because the truth is, you'll know what I'm going to say when you invite me onto your program. And, and you invited me anyway. You trusted me anyway. So thank you. Uh, absolutely. And everything that you just talked about, especially when you're talking about the beauty piece, I felt my heart expanding. I felt like you were speaking to my soul. And I, it is interesting times. And I do see that we are expanding as a collective. And thank you so much, Greg, for your time, your energy, yeah. and everything that you do. It's so, and I know there's a lot more to you. Um, and I love who you are and what you are becoming as I've been watching your journey as well. And I know more and more younger people are connecting with you as well, which is beautiful. That's 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 good news. You know, a lot of people look, look at the world. I know a lot of young people who do not want to have children in the world that we see today. And I, I understand that. And that's a perspective. But what I want to say is the, the world that we have arrived at uh, is unsustainable as it is now. It it has to. It has to give way to a higher order. It's like a rubber band that's been stretched so tight. Something's going to give. So it has to give way. It cannot continue. The question is, does it give way with a soft landing? And I think we have the ability to, to direct that. It doesn't have to be a hard landing. It can be, but I don't think it has to be. Uh, but regardless of how that happens, we all have the ability to determine how we feel and how we respond to the world. And we're not taught that, Catherine. Is, yeah, we're taught to respond to what the world shows us rather than to choose what we become. And those are very, very different paths in life. So, so that's what uh, I wanted to say today. The beauty prayer for me, I say every day and, uh, and I live it to the best of my ability and I invite people. If you never tried it, check it out, check out the beauty prayer and see how you feel about it and see how it works for you. And, and um, if we do Catherine Greg, number two, 100%. then maybe, Maybe they'll write to you, Catherine, and then we can talk about some of the responses and, and where we go from there. 100%. Thank you so much. We'll have everything in the show notes, books, links. At right. the, I know you've got a lot of stuff on YouTube as well for heart coherence for those that want to really practice it. Once again, thank you. Namaste. Thank you for coming on the show. I love what thank you're you doing. So, thank you so much. I look forward to our next, Catherine. Me too. Thank you.
Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.